there are opportunities. It's just you might have to dig a little to find them. But it's worth it. It's weight in gold if you want to truly learn about Indigenous ways. Learning from an elder is the way to do it. You're listening to Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. My name is Jessica Vandenberg, my co-host is George Lee, and our guest today is Diana Frost. great honor to be asked to acknowledge the land we stand on and the peoples of this land. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional territory of Treaty 6, Métis Nation, Zone Number 4 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And you may be joining from another treaty region, another Métis Nation zone, unceded land, or a different area. We stand upon a land that carries the footsteps and hearts of many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples that have been here for thousands of years and many generations. We would like to acknowledge our and their relationship with Mother Earth and the traumatic and oppressive history that they have been through. It is an interconnected relationship that we have with land spirit, but we're all relations and we all have an obligation to that relationship. This land has nourished and healed, protected and embraced us. And we're grateful to the Indigenous peoples that have been stewards of this interconnected relationship with Mother Earth and land spirit. We're all relations, and as such, we all respect each other in our beliefs, but also our own individual relationships with Mother Earth and Land Spirit. And so from my heart and spirit to yours, I open this podcast in a good way. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation, dropping on November 24th, 2022. Our Black Friday gift to you is a discussion of how and where to shop Indigenous. Jessica, our guest Diana Frost, and I talk about the principles of shopping Indigenous and also some of the products, services, communities, and entrepreneurs you can support. You'll hear about the variety of services and products available from Indigenous people and companies, shopping in markets, shopping in stores, shopping direct, shopping online, shopping from the big players and the small players, the value judgments shoppers need to make, partnerships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples and companies, Indigenous tourism, tours of sacred or other culturally significant places, books you might choose to read over the Christmas holidays, how to find Indigenous sellers online, hint, Google is not necessarily your friend, and... Cultural appropriation, how does that fit into all this? Plus much more. It would be a little bit disingenuous to say that we're not endorsing the products and services that we're mentioning here, but you are responsible for your own research. Okay, let's go. George and I are here today with my good friend, Diana Frost. Diana is an Algonquin Métis woman from Quebec who currently lives and does amazing things in Calgary in, in Treaty 7. We have a separate episode coming out of this one about Diana's journey in truth and conciliation, but this episode is more of a panel discussion. I guess you could call it supporting Indigenous peoples and cultures through the Christmas shopping or holiday season. Like me, Diana is a professional engineer. 
And like me, she's also passionate about reconnecting with her Indigenous roots. And also like me, she's passionate about equity, diversity, and inclusion. For Diana, all her worlds come together in Coloring Forward, a social enterprise she founded that advances education on Indigenous issues through art, language, and culture in a very special and beautiful way. She'll talk about coloring and board a little later, but I'll say that shopping for Indigenous products and services is something that's definitely in her wheelhouse. Welcome to our podcast, Diana. Thank you for having me. First, Diana, what are a few of the principles gift buyers should apply when they shop Indigenous? So I would say the most important one for me is to make sure that the product is made by an Indigenous person and that it's culturally appropriate can ask them of this. Did you make this? Where was it made? Who made it? Kind of thing. And I, I would encourage you to do that. The second thing that I would recommend is to verify, was it made locally? Because one of the things that we can do to really empower Indigenous people is to help them with their economic situation. So the more money that can stay with our artisans, the better. Then, of course, there's, uh, you know, trying to find products that might have elder's wisdom in there. So you can continue your learning journey or whoever you're gifting it to can continue theirs or a product that has some kind of teachings about the history or about the culture to help further appreciation and understanding about our history and our, our indigenous people. Um, and then, you know, there are products that are also fun. And so I'd encourage you to look for those and look for products that are, uh, that celebrate the beauty and the diversity of our culture. I think, Diana, as well, that you and I met at an Indigenous market cross place. I think that's where we met to begin with. Ah, I'm glad you said that because when George asked, I was like, oh, I don't remember. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, I think we were at something together at the River Creek Resort and I admired your orange shirts. I was looking for more orange shirts that year. We struck up a conversation and you had mentioned you are an engineer and I'm an engineer. And then you told me about how Coloring It Forward was founded. And I know that story is fascinating in itself. And I'm a big believer that we are where we're meant to be. That's what the elders teach us. And your story just brings that whole teaching to life in so many ways. That's great. I, I love that, that you met at a market because I was thinking, oh, they probably it was some big engineering thing that they were probably doing or some engineer equity and diversity thing, women in engineering, and there they were. And, <laughs> and it was at a market. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Related to the engineering thing, support for Indigenous peoples and their services and businesses and restoration of culture and language isn't just at the craft people's level, but uh, you mentioned engineering. It's also at large business level too. There's a lot of Indigenous industry players and procurement and business services, too. Like, I want to make sure that we don't only paint the picture that um, Indigenous people are only involved in crafts and um, local artistry and things like that. That there is, um, there are players on the, in the economic field um, at a large Funny scale. Funny that too. you're mentioning that because I'm, that's where my website might be going. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. We can talk about help, that then. <laughs> help, is to help connect people with other ways to support. Coloring it forward become is such a great uh, metaphorical way of of approaching what you do that it can be applied to a lot of a lot of different products. So, 
I wanted to kind of move a little bit away, uh, not away from what Jessica said, but build on it too. One example of authentic Indigenous shopping is, a, is quite a big organization now called Manitoba Mucklucks. And that also we would be respecting the entrepreneurship of Sean McCormick, the Métis man who started the, uh, the company in Winnipeg. And I feel that that is something that, although it is not shopping local in the same sense, they still have some incredible products and you are still supporting the, the success of Indigenous enterprises to go beyond the local too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's a, a value judgment of you, the person shopping for Christmas, and what is it you want to do? Like, are you you know, some of these principles, they, they'll apply heavier in one place than they will in another place. And maybe that's something that, 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 that you want to support because there are also workshops and things that they do. And it's quite a success story. And success is not a bad thing for the Indigenous communities, obviously. Well, I, I think it's a very good image to see a, a large Indigenous company starting to have more outlets in different areas of the country. And I think it's great to see people wearing these mukluks and, and, you know, enjoying them as opposed to wearing Uggs, for example, or something else, right? You wear a mukluk, be proud of your Indigenous culture, you know? You need to foster that, the pride, the appreciation. And their mukluks are beautiful. I own a pair as well. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's great to support Indigenous business, big or small, and Manitoba Mucklucks is an example of one of those companies that started small. They likely were a mom and pop shop at first. And then through hiring and, and good business practice, now they're bigger. So we need to support that and, and not, you know, encourage lateral violence by not supporting them and going to smaller, um, you know, things all the time. I mean, I'm not saying to support big entities all the time, but it's good to support Indigenous business at all levels of their development. I love the Manitoba mukluks as well. <clears throat> I also own a pair. And uh, <laughs> similar to products that Coloring Forward sends out, um, you can see how reconciliation is tied into everything from their packaging to how they're made and the story. And it comes with the tissue paper and the story on the tissue paper and authenticity and, and the same with ceremony being tied into how it's made and how the elements of it are gathered and this tone of gratitude and this tone of being thankful built into how the product is made and that that goes a long ways in my world and I always feel super cozy when I wear them <laughs> and they make it, you can feel that you know that gratitude and that like it makes me think a lot when I wear them. I'm just going to throw in here so people know that they don't have to take notes during this. We will be providing links to everything that we talk about here. Um, so lots of information to find out about uh, Sean McCormick and Manitoba Mucklucks on the, their website and also in the popular press. Here's what Sean McCormick said in a Globe and Mail interview uh, a few years back. In order for Canada to truly prosper, Indigenous people have to prosper. Our fates are interlinked that way. Unfortunately, the reality is that Canadian society has consistently placed infinite obstacles in front of Indigenous peoples throughout history. We must, as a society, remove systemic barriers to Indigenous success 
if we are going to be a healthy, prosperous country for everyone. I want to bring up another brand name that has made its way into the larger malls and things like that, too. If you haven't heard of this one, George, Section 35 was founded by Justin Louis, and he comes from Samson Cree Nation, which is here in Treaty 6 territory in Alberta here. He founded a streetwear brand of hoodies and orange shirts and hats and products like that, that um, I know I've seen featured in the malls. And their vision is to create premium products that authentically represent Indigenous art, culture, and fashion and bring to light Section 35, uh, which, of course, is around Indigenous rights and treaty rights and um, need for sovereignty and things like that. So Section 35 of the Constitution Act that talks about Aboriginal and treaty rights and the the tie to the Crown and um, all of that. Mm -hmm. We've also worked with lots of different stores, whether they're online or they have brick and mortar shops and uh, they provide all kinds of goods from, you know, bath bombs to aromatherapy, to clothing, to uh, chocolate and soaps and candles and things like that. One of the things that that we should mention, too, is uh, you can you can ask people for their advice where they shop or what's a good product. And, you know, sometimes it's not just about the product. It's also about the service. And a lot of these companies provide a very good service and an excellent product, too. So there's there's everything under the sun. You just if you search for it and you put indigenous in front of it, you probably find someone. (laughs) There are products, too, that you can bring into your business. Right. So journals that you can hand out at conferences or Products that you can use, like the room sprays. I talk to people a lot that if they're in rooms that aren't smudge friendly, they can use the alternative, which is the room sprays, right? And some of the places that your company promotes, I pass onwards to folks as well. Yeah, the company that provides those room sprays and uh, house aromatherapy and, and personal aromatherapy is Sacred Sense by Jennifer. That's the one that we've used in the past. And she's she has products of all kinds, immunity boosters, de-stressing. It's just on an endless list of uh, ways to use aromatherapy to improve your life. I've come across Loretta's Wellness Circle and the Nipsey Teas and Herbs. Often is where I get my smudge sage. One of the things, the Raven Rising is an amazing chocolate truffle. It's not like a Cadbury, I warn you. It, this is like art. She hand makes each truffle and she's a professional chocolatier. She's really, really good. So anyway, out of Sudbury, Ontario, and we've used her a uh, number of times. And Jessica can probably talk to the quality of the chocolate. <laughs> she uses different indigenous flavoring and indigenous products in the chocolate as well. And um, we've used Raven Song for soap. The soap just smells amazing and beautiful because it's made with Haida decoration. Oh, it's just beautiful. Those are a few. And then if you're in the Edmonton area, Samson Native Galleries, kind of a no-brainer in West Edmonton Mall. You know, Western Varieties, they're non-Indigenous owned. However, they're a very strong supporter of the Indigenous community. So that's another thing, too, is you can buy Indigenous products from a non-Indigenous company. As long as they're strong supporters of Indigenous artisans and Indigenous people and that they're not profiteering, I guess you could say, off of their backs, 
And Western variety is a good example of that. And Halfords as well is another one where they're trying to encourage indigenous businesses by buying their goods and helping them to sell them in a, wide, in a larger scale. So there's lots of options in Edmonton. Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm George Lee, my co-host is Jessica Vandenberg, and our guest is Diana Frost. Okay, so tomorrow's Black Friday, and we are not above accepting your money. If turning our ink black is something you're interested in, please donate or subscribe by going to our coffee site. That's ko-fi.com. Dot com slash unsettled journeys no caps I think it's important to note that in this episode we've been using the terminology Christmas but we do know everybody spiritually believes and celebrates very differently and so I, I want to make sure that we make space for that as First Nations maintain with people often we honor winter solstice and there's other spiritual beliefs that happen at different times of year so not everybody celebrates or uses the terminology Christmas but it tends to still be a gifting time of year and we know of course for indigenous people gifting is a big thing any time of the year any day so even though this is kind of what we're using the terminology Christmas focused, I want to make sure that we recognize that and are inclusive of people who have different faiths and different spiritual beliefs too. Thanks for reminding me what a great co-host you are for picking up on that. And that's why we're bringing together two different worldview perspectives. <laughs> Maybe uh, making a shameless plug again, but we also have winter solstice cards card sets that don't reference Christmas sets at all. So <laughs> if people are looking for greeting cards that are not Christmas specific, we have that card set available. Perfect. Please, world, don't look at this as a war on Christmas. It's not a war on anything. <laughs> Definitely. It is okay for you as a non-Indigenous person to wear Indigenous earrings, and to wear Indigenous clothing. It's a good thing because you're honoring our culture. You just have to make sure that you bought it from an Indigenous person. And if someone says something to you, you can tell them that. I bought this at a market from this person who is Indigenous. And I did check that they were Indigenous and that this is an Indigenous product. And therefore, you won't have any fears of being accused of appropriating or doing something that's not appropriate or not uh, not right or, or something or, or taking advantage of Indigenous people. That's a really good point, Diana. And that's a subject we want to visit as a separate episode at some point about what what is appropriation, what isn't appropriation, and where these lines are for various people. So thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that's a good transition from businesses where you can go into the store to markets as well, because there's a lot of markets, right? And so here um, in Edmonton in Treaty 6, Enoch hosts a, a large market every year. And over the summer, they hosted a night market. 
and the downtown and into this market that they host down there too. Features a lot of folks. I know one of the ladies that I have purchased uh, ribbon skirts from before who goes there quite regularly, as well as a lot of um, people who do beading. I know they had a lot of beaded poppies uh, in preparation for Remembrance Day, which uh, just passed as well, and to honor Indigenous Veterans Day as well. The I Am Collective, for sure, is, uh, is a large one, too. I Am Collective is an Indigenous arts collective of more than 70 First Nations, Métis, and Inuit artists. COVID did an interesting thing, and not only was it a world pandemic and upset everybody in the world, not to trivialize it, but this this was a big thing, but it also converted a lot of businesses to online. So there's a lot of online places, and I Am Collective is one that, got, that gathers a lot of folks together as well. Their dates in and around Edmonton are December 3rd and 4th. That one's actually in Smoky Lake, which is a bit of a drive from Edmonton, about an hour and a half if you are in Edmonton in winter conditions. Uh, there's also one December 10th and 11th at the Prince of Wales Armories. Another one December 16th to 18th at uh, St. Basil's Cultural Centre. And then there's a December 23rd one at the downtown Farmer's Market. And it's important to note, though, too, um, the support for community when a lot of these uh, markets pop up. So the I Am Indigenous Collective, the attendance is free, but they're collecting totes and donations and things like that to pass along to community organizations. Because especially during the winter time, when folks are in poverty cycles or have kids to care for and things like that, they're always looking for donations and donations to some of the more mainstream places like... Some, well, some of the more mainstream places don't always make it to reserve people. So it's important to, if you can get it directly to nation people, Métis people, urban populations, through organizations based in their neighborhoods, it's better. I would like to mention uh, a Calgary market that people can come and support. There's the Authentically Indigenous Craft Sale, which has been going on for many, many years. And it's taking place uh, December 10th and 11th at the Kirby Center. So Malreen and her sister are very active in, in the community and they're always very supportive. And so I always like to try and, and do shout outs for them. It's a very nice market. They have entertainment as well and they have Santa visiting and things like that. So, you know, one other market I'd like to mention in the Calgary area, and this one is really on kind of the, uh, a really big scale and there is a, a corporate component and there's an economic development component and that's the uh Swatina people the the first nation that's that's very close to Calgary and is adjacent to Bragg Creek so this nation is one of the only is the only Dene speaking nation in Treaty 7 which is which is pretty fascinating and of course ties in with with my co-host so there's a there's this huge market on December 16th, 17th, and 18th, and it's at the Seven Chief Sportplex and the Chief Jim Starlight Center. There's outdoor skating, there's cultural stuff, there's vendors who are both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, and there's co-sponsorship with TAZA, which is the partnership between the nation in, in developing right near the Southwest Calgary Ring Road expansion. So this is really uh, part of a massive economic development thing that's going on, not only in Calgary, but but within the nation itself. It sounds like there's a positive thing going on with the nation and its relationship to Calgary. And that might be a fun thing to, to go out and support. 
you know, George, we're really starting to see, at least in my area, a lot more support from non-Indigenous entities for organizing Indigenous events and co-organizing things. And, and that's definitely a really good example, the market on Sutina. And it's a great example of reconciliation or conciliation, how, how you're saying it, to see Indigenous businesses and Indigenous uh, entities working with non-Indigenous businesses and entities to organize things and and draw a wider market. It's fantastic. I highly encourage it. Regardless of what kind of market you're going to, if you can gravitate towards an authentic Indigenous vendor, even to get in a conversation with the person, that's an act of conciliation too, is... Just kind of meeting people on this neutral kind of turf, which is where you're 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 looking at their work and the products and services that they sell and talking about them. That goes a lot to breaking down stereotypes between the various peoples of Canada. And for people who don't have a lot of money but want to support in some way, if you go to one of these markets and you see products that you think are fantastic, without your phone and do a social media post about them. That is very useful. That is very helpful. And that Indigenous person will really appreciate you helping them to promote their business. So you don't have to always spend money. You can help share. Share posts about cool Indigenous events, about cool Indigenous products, and about experiences. And those people will be so happy. You're listening to Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. My name is Jessica Vandenberg. My co-host is George Lee. And our guest today is Diana Frost. There's nothing like uh, sitting beside a, <laughs> uh, a fire on the television set with the glow of your iPad in front of you and, and, and reading a nice book over Christmas. Don't you love the little arms that come in for the pokers on the, <laughs> on the fire? Yeah, everyone, on, everyone watches for the fire log yeah, change, when, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> when do the logs get a change? But anyway, just uh, it, it's often a, a great chance to get some reading done. There's a lot of very heavy reading that could be done. But what would you recommend over the Christmas season? Is there something that you think, uh, regardless of whether it's heavy or not, this is up to the, the two of you. So maybe we'll start with our guest, Diana Frost. You know, I am a book publisher. So, I mean, I have lots of recommendations of uh, our own books. Um, uh, you know, if you, you have, are starting your journey and you want to learn some elders' wisdom, the coloring books are a really great way to do that because they have elders' stories and teachings in them. And we have coloring books on the Dene, the Cree, and the Blackfoot peoples. The self-promotion is allowed because it's such a cool thing that you've got going on there. <laughs> the other book I would recommend is the Res Rules one. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about that right now. So Chief Louie from the Suyas Indian Band, it's close to my heart because I grew up in the area. I grew mm-hmm. up in Penticton. And so that's all part of the Steelic Okanagan group of Indigenous peoples where I grew up. 
this is leadership. This is real leadership that had real economic results in his community. So for about four decades, I think there was a little interruption in there where he wasn't the chief in Asuyas. Asuyas, for those who don't know, is right next to the to the U.S. border in the Okanagan Valley. It's wine country, semi-desert country, lakes, you know, quite a beautiful touristy area. And he just really partnered with non-Indigenous uh, investors and communities to to really build, to really economically develop the reserve and created jobs and created a sense of hope within within his people. And he he's a no-nonsense, shoot-from-the-hip kind of person, and he doesn't put up with BS no matter where it comes from, whether it comes from other Indigenous peoples or whether it comes from the non-Indigenous community. He's very historically aware of what goes on. Asuyas has had land taken from it, so it's had land removed from its original reserve, the original allotment. And there's a, a no-nonsense approach, a we're-in-this-together approach. Yet he's not a settler apologetic or anything like that. Yet he really communicates well with the settler population because he has embraced economic development in a in a way that uh, that I think the uh, the settler community tends to really gravitate towards. So yeah, so it's just a it's really an interesting read. So it's a nice entry point. I think for settler people because it balances so many of the ideas that they have going on in their head. It corrects and adjusts by a person who I think really they can they can really relate to because of his approach. And as I say, obviously you've got to be an incredible leader to have managed for you know almost forty uninterrupted years to be the chief. It's really a no nonsense direct book about his life and the accomplishments of his band and how he connects with his people and how he connects with the other communities around him. So I know for book recommendations, there's tons in the biography era, right? We're about, um, what are we, 165 years, years-ish since the Indian Act came about, right? So a lot of the chiefs have lived through the world wars. They've lived through residential school. They have advocated for their nations and they have made federal change, brought their nations through so many things. Um, it's a collective effort. And so there's so many biographies by chiefs in this country and in our sister nations uh, down in the South in the United States borders as well that are just fascinating how they navigated political systems and capitalistic systems despite ongoing oppression and active cultural genocide and things like that. So there's so much in the biography area for books. But I think for me, if I were to pick two books to recommend for the Christmas season, because as you said, George, there's lots in the realm of truth and testimony and wisdom that um, are tough to read. But the two that I'm actually going to read over Christmas, uh, Richard Wagamese, of course, is, is um, a well-known author. He has so many books to read from, but uh, one of my colleagues recommended uh, one that calls What Comes From Spirit. And so it's those teachings of how to walk in a good way that I'm kind of looking for over the the holiday season and some guidance Mm. on that, like not to concentrate so much on the negative and the oppression and the, you know, uh, how do you overcome stuff that's imposed on us, but how do we ground instead on what we're founded on? And so that one is on my bookshelf as well as the other one, um, uh, The First Astronomers. 
Um, and so the first astronomers actually, actually comes from the elders out to, um, in Australia, New Zealand, the Southern Hemisphere. It's created by a, a number of elders out there. The author is Dwayne Hamacher, and this came out maybe about a year ago, but it talks to this concept of two-wide scene. It talks about the journey that this settler author took um, with the nations out there and in a lot of consultation and how he was, you know, lack of a better phrase, schooled by the elders <laughs> and the knowledge keepers on uh, how you walk um, with two-wide scene and how do you do this for astronomy. And astronomy is such a good example of how two worldviews can look at a singular concept and explain it in different ways, but it's still the same concept. And then how do you tie that into storytelling and values, teachings, and all of that stuff too, right? So this is a book that I know I haven't read, but has been highly recommended by several people. So the first astronomers, how the Indigenous elders read the stars. And again, in the Southern Hemisphere, but still a lot to learn from that one. So Strong Nations is a website that promotes Indigenous artists, uh, publishers, book writers, gifts, books, very similar to what Coloring It Forward does. And so it's a place that if you're looking to support Indigenous artisans and uh, book writers and and find um, age appropriate and all that stuff, like this is a good place to go along with Coloring It Forward. I think, Jessica, you had mentioned that it would be good to mention that our coloring books are good for adults as well as for children. And, you know, you can color them with your foster kids or your kids' kids, you know, um, and they're a really great way to to have some fun, do, uh, do a bit of learning. And the other book that we've come out with lately uh, is, well, it's it's a day planner, but it includes a lot of information on reconciliation. It's called the Reconciliation Day Planner. That's something that people can start using whenever because it's undated. Yeah, Diana, I really love your Reconciliation Day Planner and your Wellness Journal as well. Like both integrate teachings and chances to journal and color and reflection and all together in such a good way. And I promote the Reconciliation Planner as part of all the awareness training that we always do because it's such a like if you don't put it at the forefront of every day. It's easy to push to the back burner. And reconciliation and efforts are not going to be done if we don't put it in our forefront every day. So the reconciliation planner, I 100% recommend. This is a new little booklet that I produced through my not-for-profit. As you can see, it's really small. It's a pocket-sized passport, we call it. It's called the Reconciliation Passport. And it includes information on the 94 calls to action, and it includes QR codes and around 20 to 25 recommended actions people can take for reconciliation. Oh my gosh, that's so good. (laughs) Distributing them for free. If people want to receive some of these, we're taking donations. We're not, we're not selling them. They cost about a dollar to make. And we handed about 1,500 of them out uh, around Orange Shirt Day. They also include a text on how to be a good ally and uh, lots of recommended actions in here. So people are interested in that. We are happy to send them some. Absolutely not cutting that out. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And I want some, Diana. Text me. Text me the link. (laughs) Also. Also want to mention that we will be doing a a age, I tell you. Uh, a New Year's resolution 
episode as well. I haven't quite dropped that bomb on on Jessica yet, but this is the kind of thing we'll mention in there as well about just little things that you can do, resolve to do in the new year that, as Jessica put it, put truth and reconciliation first and foremost in your lives on a daily basis or a weekly basis or whatever it is you need to do as a human being living in Turtle Island. Listening to Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm George Lee. My co host is Jessica Vandenberg, and our guest is Diana Frost. I don't know whether this is a term, but there there is ecotourism, which is a term, but there's also indigenous tourism or indigitourism or something like that. And there's lots of self-guided things, but I feel that you don't get the full value. Plus, I hate to, unfortunately, there's bad actors and I hate to talk about sacred places and how to get there. I'm not saying that there's bad actors listening to our, to our podcast, and I don't mean to paint people with that brush. We do do have to worry about vandalism, unfortunately, on, on sacred sites and things like that. So there are tons of teepee rings and rib stones and things like that to go visit. But these continue to be sacred places for Indigenous peoples across the country. And I feel that uh, some of the guided tours that people get perhaps have more value because they learn the respect for the areas. They're also paying some money up front and being guided to these places uh, rather than kind of a stealth tour where you may not get as much, quite as much out of it. So I really like the idea. If it's within your budget, and some of them are quite affordable, uh, even if it's not elder guided, uh, a lot of them are elder informed. This is such an interesting topic because, you know, again, we're still kind of in the newest stages of, of things like this developing, right? And so it can be colored either way, positive, negative, depending on the attitude of folks going into these things, right? And it can sway with the, the wrong personality into the space of exploitation or just really going in without the depth of knowing the truth, of the respect, knowing of the oppression that happened and without knowing the importance that that sacred site is still sacred today, right? And it makes me think of some of the things that have happened and that are happening. Uh, I know we chatted with that. Um, I'm going to forget her name, George, but the lady who runs the museum in Northern BC. Tracy is her first name. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me think of the efforts, you know, and the mind shift of museums. And it's the same with some of these site visits and in community experiences too, right? Like the museums originally were, you know, we took all your stuff through colonialism and now we're going to pay you to go see it. And now it's getting to the place of, okay, you know what? We realized that approach wasn't the best. Let's let's do this together and create these lovely and beautiful exhibits that move along reconciliation. And it makes me think of the Manitou Stone as well, too, George. 
And the Manitou stone was a sacred stone that came down from Creator in the form of an asteroid. And it was taken again by the museums and through colonial efforts. It was in the Royal Alberta Museum for a long time, but they have been visiting all the nations throughout what is known as Alberta and Saskatchewan, but that covers a lot of treaty zones. And they are returning the Manitou stone to the nations. And this is such a reconciliation effort because it's restoring something that was taken through colonial ways um, and then bringing it back in, to the sacred site that it, it it holds to to honor it and respect it. And when I think through things like ecotourism and things like that, if you don't know the history of the land, if you don't know the history of the people, if you don't know what weight it holds to certain places that you stand, it can sometimes be quickly brushed aside. So when you create an ecotourism spot or an operation, having it be Indigenous-led, making sure that the nations are the heart of it, that it's founded on the right tone of teachings, will make such a difference for reconciliation. But again, being cautious of those ones that you know are in it to, for the light toucher to be part of tourism or part of their consultancy firms for land development or, or whatever, right? Um, we're at such an interesting time where uh, it's really um, uh, project dependent of the personalities that are coming to those tables. That's the uh, Exploration Place Museum and Science Center in, in Prince George, Tracy Caligaris. That, that's an episode everyone should listen to because it is just fascinating. The really respectful partnership that's, that's happened in that community, despite a, a horrible past. So there was so much reparation work and actual restoration of of the uh, or actual creation of a relationship. And that whole issue of museums and the whole colonial attitude of museums to just grab the stuff, no matter who it came from and how that's changing, I think is a is a great ongoing story. I think so, too. And and way to nail the pronunciation. (laughs) I hope so. I hope I nailed it. <laughs> I got Tracy right. Of this, we can be sure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I wanted to just ask Diana, I know down in Treaty 7 down there with the Stony Nakoda tribes, often the conversation goes to tourism within those that area between the city of Calgary and Canmore. I don't know if you have any thoughts on tourism, because I know the Blackfoot Confederacy has has been working hard on their reconciliation efforts down there too. And we've seen over time uh, the, that casino that popped up as well in the gas station unit between Calgary and Canmore. I forget uh, the name of that one. It's on the Highway 40 up to going to Kananaskis. Yeah, that's a really nice little gas station. Lots of, uh, and they have some product from the nation there too. But yeah, there are lots of uh, Indigenous tourism opportunities that are that are popping up all over the place. There's some uh, interpreted walks, even in the downtown of Calgary, along the river and things like that, that are led by an Indigenous, a young woman. I can't remember the name of her company, though, sorry. I also know of some um, some teepee stays in, in Kananaskis itself, where you can go and you can listen to stories around the campfire and things like that. Yeah, there's 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 lots going on around here too. I think there's uh, there's uh, an elder in Stony Nakoda that uh, that also welcomes people who are non-indigenous to sweat, and that's very that's very special. 
So that's, that's not very common, I don't think, to be able to go to a sweat if you're not connected to an elder. So yeah, I would encourage people to, to search out, uh, different experiences. And we'll, we'll try and share the ones we, we hear about. I think we, we talked about that, George, eh? The difficulty in actually finding Indigenous artists, Indigenous events, and Indigenous experiences online. It doesn't seem to be very easy. For me, I use Facebook. You know, maybe you'd say, oh, she's old, you know. <laughs> but honestly, You're not old. <laughs> honestly, there's a lot of Indigenous stuff that's shared on Facebook and nowhere else. A lot of Indigenous people don't have a website, but they have a Facebook page. And so if you search for Indigenous, whatever, Indigenous TP stay or Indigenous interpreted walk or something like that, you, you probably have better luck on Facebook than you do even on Google. So if you search for that Indigenous artisan, Indigenous artist, if you're looking for an Indigenous event, Indigenous event. Put your treaty number in there, maybe. That might help. Treaty 7 events. There's a Facebook site that's called Treaty 7 Markets and Events or something like that, that you can find. There's the Moccasin Trail Facebook site. If you look that up, you know, look look on Facebook. That's where I would go. And that's how you find the artists, too, because most of them are on there. I communicate with Messenger most of the time, with Facebook Messenger, with my artists, not on the phone or text or anything. So, 100%. Like, uh, I'll echo that as well. Like, Facebook is where you find any event, any any information about the relays that happened in the summer, or the powwow schedules. Like, I, I'm the same. Like, a lot of my network in that uh, area is through Facebook and Messenger. We offer a monthly newsletter that I write. I only send one email a month because I don't have time to do more. But if you want to get a listing of events, at least in the Calgary area, I don't do a lot outside of Calgary, but you want a listing of what I know what's going on, I put it in my newsletter. Hopefully we can start sharing a bit more widely in the near future that some, somewhere I want my website to go is to offer, is to offer that service if people want to. Um, you know, have us share their event or have us share about their business and things like that. We're hoping to try and help people with that. Get connected. Exactly what you're going to say. Like, it's about talking to Indigenous people. Like, to, just go and build a relationship. Talk with them. Say, hey, I'm looking for this. Who do you know? Everybody knows somebody and everybody's related to somebody who knows. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, for myself, when I, when I first started coloring it forward, I didn't know very many, uh, I wasn't very connected in the community because I'm from Quebec. I'm not from Alberta. I didn't grow up around, um, the community here. Learning about Blackfoot culture and, and Stony culture and Dene culture. I read some books and things like that, but I didn't truly start my learning experience until I started meeting elders and sitting with them and listening. I didn't ask a lot of questions because I didn't know what to ask. And that's how it is when you're learning your, your way, right? You're learning your path. Just listen. And if a question comes to you, ask it. Like search out those elders and go and listen. That's what I would recommend. At least uh, there are opportunities. It's just you might have to dig a little to find them. But it's worth it. It's weight in gold if you want to truly learn about Indigenous ways, learning from an elder is the way to do it. 
and in community on the land as well, right? Um, as you said, like uh, one of our other guests, Dwayne Donald, often does river walks up here in Treaty 6 as well, um, often for University of Alberta students and faculty. And um, the river walks and the teachings on the land are so important, right? It's different when you go traditional medicine picking and you go through the exercise or you see the, the ceremonies in the spaces that they have a lot deeper meaning in than it is reading about it in a book, right? Or watching a YouTube video of somebody going or something like that, right? So yeah, the in-person, on the land, in-community experience goes such a long way to cement what people talk about. Like even to hear the elders who share so humbly their residential school experiences or the adversity that they've gone through and, and just... Not complaining, but just matter of factly, this is what happened, right? And now we're doing this and like just so calm about it in a very such a kind way that they they teach these things to us. So what do you get to a, for a person for Christmas involving some of the things that the two of you just talked about? Give somebody a gift certificate for some kind of a cultural event that's happening later in the year or some kind of a tour. So Keith Dyke, so he does uh, River Valley tours in Edmonton. It's much like you were talking about with the astronomy book, Jessica. He's a Métis man. He provides a connection between the elder stories and the actual rock formations. A professional geoscientist, he does have a website and it's called Talking Rock Tours. He has agreed to be a guest with us at some point. So it'll be nice to talk to him. As an aside, my first connection with him was uh, editing a story or stories that that featured him because uh, because he was one of the firefighters in Fort McMurray. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to edit these stories done by an excellent writer named Corrine Letter, who I don't know what she's up to these days, but it was a real highlight of my career to edit her work. And we won some awards with the stories. So that's where I originally got to know him. Anyway, now he does he does custom tours, he does tours of the River Valley, he does a snowshoeing experience through Elk Island National Park. He's open to do Nordeg and a few other places, Badlands, of course. He's worked with storytellers to come up with some uh, with what the stories are. And then there's the rich history as well. So there's history, oral history, and then there's also the actual science in these places. So it seems like a wonderful way of connecting the past with today and they're very affordable one on the land and community experience that's coming to the edmonton area treaty six up here is uh, the sacred land project so this is going to appear by fort edmonton park close to white mud park and i know uh, lewis cardinal is one of the first nations people that is consulting on this and this is looking to build an area with sweat lodges a ceremonial stone heating Areas that where you can gather stones from the river, places for ceremony outside, inside, places where you can do cultural teaching. So this project is a very exciting one that has been in collaboration with a lot of the local nations and Métis, Inuit people, um, very Indigenous-led and consulted uh, in conjunction with the city of Edmonton. So this, this will be an exciting community on the land experience when this project is launched. Very nice. I just want to quickly throw in, if you're looking at some kind of milestone, there are these tours of the North. And the reason this came to me was because uh, because Jessica's friend, Chris, during their trip in the summer, mentioned this connection to the North. And there's a real chance to to patronize 
indigenous owned operations. And there are some of them that are 100% indigenous owned. There's hunting trips and there's, and there's seeing the Northern Lights. Of course, we're talking lots and lots of money. But if you are going to do something like that, to do it in a guided way and do it with authentic sources, and as Diana says, ask the questions that need to be asked to find out if you don't get adequate answers or if you get vague answers, maybe that's not the company to go with. But really dig a little bit and, and maybe take in one of those. If you've, if you've got the cash and you've got the milestone that needs to be recognized in some big way like that. Okay, I think we'll wrap this one up then. Thank you so much, Diana, for, for being a part of this conversation. As you know, we're having you back and you can talk in a little more depth about your own journey and the journey of your creation, coloring it forward. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you. Unsettled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation is a production of Features West Studios located on Treaty 6 lands, Métis Region 4 in Edmonton, Alberta. Co-hosts, Jessica Vandenberg and me, George Lee. Music written and performed by Kevin John of the Cayucat Chaklaset First Nation on Vancouver Island. Logo conceived and designed by Corrine Riedel and Sandy Brown Van Dam. Many thanks to our guest this time, Diana Frost, who joined us from Calgary, in the heart of Treaty 7 and Métis Region 3 territory. You can find our podcast through all the major apps and many of the minor ones too. We're building a nice little community around our Facebook page, so if you haven't joined us there, please do. Jessica and I both post fairly regularly on LinkedIn, so you can dig around there to find us as well. So enjoy the season and be sure to keep your eyes and ears open for a few more episodes in December. Take care. We are not at war with Christmas. <laughs>